Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com. I'm excited this morning to get to share with you. Thanks for staying in the gym, even though it's warmer than any of us want, us want it to be. And thanks for not complaining about it. If you have been complaining, you've been whispering. So I appreciate that. Um, like JJ said, uh, we'll be in here for, I don't know, about a half hour, 45 minutes more, and then you can go eat your disgusting amount of hot dogs. I hope that none of you actually eat 7 billion on your own. You will die. Um, but if you want to contribute to that number, that's fine. Um, What we're talking about this morning is the Holy Spirit. Um, We've been doing a series called Roots. Mark wrapped that up for us last week. And so this week, um, we're just taking one week to really focus on the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. Um, And one week should be plenty to do that. Just joking. Um, So uh, we've got like a couple things to say about him this morning. Um, And so as I was working on this this week and as I was talking to the Lord and um, kind of thinking about, okay, where, where are we going to go and how are we going to start this and what sort of things have happened in my own life that I think maybe set up where we're heading, um, I felt like the Lord kept saying to me, I want you to tell the story of what happened to you at the beginning of ninth grade. And I kept saying like, I'm, n- I'm not going to do that um, <clears throat> because I like don't mind sharing with you like, you know, embarrassing pictures of what I used to look like. Um, My glasses were really big and my bangs were also quite large. Um, Like, I don't mind that. I don't mind telling you like stories of when my mom and I almost like fell off a mountain in Colorado because like it's a little bit embarrassing, but it also makes you think like I'm kind of awesome, right? Like I was driving up a mountain and my car almost fell off it. Like that's cool. Um, This story is none of those things. It's just embarrassing. Um, And maybe the right word actually is not embarrassing, but more like it makes me feel a level of shame, to be honest with you. Yeah, we're getting into it right away. Okay. Um, So I kept saying to the Lord, like, I don't really want to talk about that because I don't talk about this story with hardly anybody. Like there are very few people in my life who actually know know that this has happened. And I just couldn't get away from it. It's like every way I tried to work around it, the Lord was like, I mean, you can skip it if you want, but it's going to be bad. And so I'm going to tell you this story. Um, So I um, am the oldest of four kids. I uh, started going to a Christian school when I was in second grade. I'm from Pennsylvania, not Ohio. Uh, and so my parents put me into what's called the Christ- what was called the Christian School of York. And um, I don't know, I was having a, a good experience. I loved school. I mean, I've already told you like the nerdy part of me. Like I didn't really have friends when I was growing up, but I didn't care because I had books. And that may sound like a loser thing to say, but I'm serious. I really love my books. That's not in past tense. That's still present. So, um, I enjoyed being at the Christian school. There was, uh, there was nothing about it that made me go like, man, I wish I went to the public school. Like all those other people I knew, I was really content and satisfied. Um, and it was the summer in between my eighth grade and ninth grade year. And I had gone to, a youth conference, and we were at Liberty University. I remember like exactly where I was sitting, and my parents went to this youth conference every year also. They were youth workers, and they were sitting kind of just behind me, and it had been a good week. I remember it being a good week, 
And, and, and the one thing that really specifically stood out to me as I was sitting, it was towards the end of the week and I was listening to this man speak to us, you know, thousands of us sitting in this room. And he was talking about what it meant to really listen to the voice of God and to respond to what he might be asking you to do, even if that was something that was really hard. And I took my faith really seriously. Like even as someone that young, following the Lord was the most important thing to me. And I really believed that. Like as a 13-year-old sitting in my seat that summer, I really felt like I want to do whatever it is that God is asking me to do. And so as I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of listening to this man speak, he says, you know, some of those like four instances, which I will do in a little bit, you know, where like maybe it means to do this and maybe it means to do that and maybe it means to do this. And um, I can tell you now as someone who speaks to people, I know that he probably was just trying to create a list that maybe touched a few different people, but likely he didn't sit down and think like there's someone specific that needs to hear this very one thing, likely. And yet, as he stood up there and he said, there are some of you that go to a Christian school that need to move to the public school because you need to learn what it means to share your faith on a regular basis. And I remember turning and looking at my parents and going like, I think that's me. And they were like, uh, okay, so this turned into... um, a pretty rapid conversation that we had because when I got home from this conference, we were starting school again just like within a couple of weeks. And so my parents were praying and I was praying and in my mind, it seemed like this is the obvious choice. Like this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what God wants me to do. Now, I will tell you that as I've gotten older, I've started to recognize in myself that I tend to make a decision and then it's just done for me. Like, okay, yeah, well, I mean, that's what I'm supposed to do. So like, let's just go do it, right? I I don't do a lot of like this, like back and forth. Like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Let's just do it. Sometimes this has gotten me in trouble. Refer back to the driving the car up the mountain and almost falling off. Okay, so... In my mind, I'm, I'm settled on this. I think it took my parents a little bit longer to come around to the idea. But I made the decision and we made the switch. So I moved from my Christian school, um, my class at the time I think had 45 people in it, to the public school, that the district that I lived in, I think the class that graduated that year graduated like 420 kids. Um, so to say that it was a culture shock is like the understatement of my life to that point. Um, I couldn't find my way around the school. I didn't know anybody. I mean, I did not know anybody at this school. And so I, I started, I made this decision based on this, like, I really believe that this is where the Lord was leading me. And I made this decision not based on like what I wanted, because if I can be real with you, I did not want to go to that school. I knew the people that I grew up with. Now, again, I didn't have a lot of friends, but I at least knew who they were. My high school had one hallway and seven classrooms, pretty easy to get around. I moved to this new high school where like, You had to go outside to get from one place to another. I didn't even, like, there were entire floors just of Spanish classes. Like, what is going on in this building? And so every single day, my dad would take me to school on his way to work, and I would cry the whole way to school, like the whole way to school. And so my dad would be like, it's going to be better today. And I'm like, it's not, you don't know that. You know what, I would get out of the car and I would run inside. It was horrible. And so after a few weeks, it didn't feel like it was ever going to get any better. And this was all amplified by the fact that all of my friends 
go to another school and they're starting their high school careers together. And so on the weekends, that's who I would hang out with. I would go to their soccer games. I would go to their field hockey games. I would see these people and all I could think about was everything that I was missing. And so I don't even remember, I would have to ask my mom, I guess, I don't even remember the exact number of days that I ended up staying at Central High School, but it was less than a month, probably three weeks, and I switched back. Now, could there have been good reasons for a person to switch schools and then get there and go, you know what, maybe this wasn't right, and switch back? Yeah, I think there are. And I will tell you with all of my heart and with full confidence, God took that decision that I made and he brought something really beautiful out of it. Like, I feel really confident that my life wouldn't have unfolded the way that it had had I not made that decision to go back. I think that God worked things around and moved pieces around because I made that decision. But, but here's the point that I want to make. When I made the decision to leave, it's because I believed that God was moving me in a direction. And when I made the decision to come back, all I was thinking about was me. I was thinking about how tired I was of not knowing anybody's face. I was thinking about how lonely I was. I was thinking about how difficult this was. I was thinking about how much I missed everybody from where I had come from. And so I made that decision not based on what may God be wanting to teach me. I made that decision based on what feels the best for me. And so I returned to the Christian School of York. And that's where I finished my high school career and where I graduated from, etc., etc. And like I said, God is not bound by our bad decisions. He's not shackled by the fact that like as a 14-year-old, I did something stupid. Praise God for that, right? I mean, I think we can all agree. Praise God. He's not bound by our stupid 14-year-old decisions. And yet, as I thought about what we're going to talk about today, I think that experience is probably the most profound example in my own life of experiencing the fact that as a follower of Christ, we are called to drive our lives, to steer our lives by the spirit and not by our senses or by our emotions. That the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God is the thing that pushes us and drives us and becomes our compass, our yardstick, not our senses and not our emotions. And that's something that we know in our heads and yet it's very difficult to live. And so I want to talk us through a couple of different stories that we see in the New Testament in particular to show you an example of kind of differences between someone who has listened to the Spirit of God and someone who has simply followed what their senses or what their emotions have told them. Now, from the get-go, let's just lay out there the fact that you having emotions or senses is not a bad thing. You have those because God created you in his image and he has those also. Throughout the life of Jesus, we see Jesus described, the Son of God described as being a man who felt sorrow for people. We see him weep when one of his friends dies. We see him weep when he comes into the city of Jerusalem and he knows that they don't recognize him as the Messiah. We see him experience so much joy when his disciples go out and share the gospel for one of the first times. Our God has emotions. That's why we have them too. So what I do not want you to hear today is like, you should live your life like a robot. That is not the answer. 
emotions are good, they're important, and there is a reason that you have them. And your senses are important too. Now, we all know that. I am really attuned to that because my eyesight is poor, um, like really, really bad. So before I got, they, I had to get glasses before I could go to kindergarten. And before that, I distinctly remember like bumping into the walls a lot in my parents' hallway in their house um, because they just seemed a lot further away than they actually were. So I can appreciate the fact that like senses are important. It's good that you have eyesight. It's good that you can hear. It's good that you can experience and absorb the world around you. But those things, as Christ followers, those things cannot be the the primary things that we use to make our decisions. Now, sometimes this feels crazy. But I want to point us to a story that illustrates this really well. So if you have the Bible underneath you, we're going to go to Acts 27. um, And in the Bible underneath your chair, that's page 855. Acts 27. As you're turning there, let me set the story up in case you're not familiar. Uh, The book of Acts is all about the beginning of the early church. And the first half or so of the book of Acts kind of bounces us all around and we see different people living in different cities in the way that the gospel is spreading. The end of the book of Acts begins to really zero in on the life of Paul. And so in the chapters leading up to Acts 27... We know that Paul has converted from um, being simply a Jew who believes in the Old Testament to one day having this revelation from God that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that he's been waiting for, that Jesus is his Messiah, that Jesus is his Savior. And so Paul becomes a Christian and immediately starts sharing the gospel everywhere that he goes. So some people are excited about this, some people not so much. In fact, his life is threatened, and a couple of times they actually stone him and think that he is dead, leave him for dead, throughout the course of his ministry. Um, And then right before we get to Acts 27, what happens is he has returned to Jerusalem, kind of the capital city of Israel, and he is put on a series of false trials, Uh, The way that this unfolds looks a lot like the end of Jesus's life. So he's put on a series of false trials and essentially no one wants to make a decision about this guy. One of the Roman governors keeps him in jail for two years just because he thinks he's smart and he likes having him around to talk to. So Paul has been hanging out in prison for years at this point. And finally, he says, he's a Roman citizen because of the city that he was born in. And finally, Paul says, I appeal to Caesar, which would be um, similar, to, similar to the way that in our country, you can appeal a case all the way up to the Supreme Court. That's what Paul is doing. And so he is now going to be put on a ship and sent to Rome so that he can stand before Caesar and tell his story to Caesar and let Caesar decide his fate. So Paul is put on this ship at the beginning of Acts 27. Now we're going to skip over a few verses. We are going to read kind of the the main portion of Acts 27. What you should know is that the the journey is not going well. So they're traveling at the wrong time of year. There's a really bad storm and the sailors are starting to panic. Now I don't have not spent a lot of time on a boat, but I'm guessing that if lifelong seasoned sailors are starting to panic, it's a very bad sign. That's where we find ourselves in Acts 27. So we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. So follow along with me. When a light wind began blowing from the south, the sailors thought they could make it. 
So they pulled up anchor and sailed close to the shore of Crete. But the weather changed abruptly, and a wind of typhoon strength, called a nor'easter, burst across the island and blew us out to sea. The sailors couldn't turn the ship into the wind, so they gave up and let it run before the gale. We sailed along the sheltered side of a small island named Cauda, where with great difficulty we hoisted aboard the lifeboat being towed behind us. Then the sailors bound ropes around the hull of the ship to strengthen it. They were afraid of being driven across to the sandbars of Sirtis off the African coast, so they lowered the sea anchor to slow the ship and were driven before the wind. The next day, as gale force winds continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing the cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Okay, that's how you know it has gotten bad. Like there's, Luke is the man who wrote the book of Acts and he has no other way to describe what's happening to you other than to say, all hope is lost. It's done for. I mean, it's like every man for himself, it's over. This is not going to end well. Now look at verse 21. No one had eaten for a long time. Yeah, because there's panic, okay? Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. Okay, so sometimes I think maybe Paul doesn't do a good job of making friends and influencing people uh, because when they le- right before they had left the previous island, he's like, I don't think this is a good idea. And they said like, what do you know? You know, you're like a pastor. Yeah, we're going to go ahead. We're sailors. We're going to get on the... So they get on the water, and as soon as everything goes bad, he's like, you know, I don't want to say I told you so, but uh, I told you so, right? You should have listened to me. Uh, The end of verse 21. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, and he said, don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you, so take courage. For I believe God, it will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. Okay, now, these sailors must think that Paul is crazy. Like, maybe there's part of him that hopes that he's right, But Paul has no idea what he's talking about. He is not a sailor. He has not sailed these seas before. And what he's saying to them is, hey, God told me that I have to get to Rome. So lucky you, because you're sailing with me. I'm guaranteed to make it there. We're all going to be safe. God's going to take care of us. Even if the sailors want to believe it, you can tell that they're struggling to listen to the voice of this, this God, this spirit that they don't know. Because look at what happens in the next few verses. Verse 27. About midnight on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was 120 feet deep. But a little later, they measured again and found it was only 90 feet deep. At this rate, they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore. So they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the sailors cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now this is nonsensical. Again, I'm not a sailor, 
But I've watched enough movies about water to kind of understand what happens when a boat starts to sink. Okay, like you've probably seen the movie Titanic, and so you know, like they tried to get off the boat once they realized, like, it's going down. That's what you do when a boat is sinking, you leave, unless you're the captain and then I think you're supposed to stay. But everybody else gets off of there. So the sailors, they're going like, we are getting way too close to the shore. The ship is going to bust into pieces. It is time to bail out. And most of us would say, yeah, that's what your brain tells you to do. That's the intelligent thing to do. You use your senses to determine what is going on around you, and then you make a reasonable decision. But Paul says, hey, uh, did you guys not listen? God said he's going to save all of you, but the only way he can save you is if you stay on the ship. Now we read this and we go like, what a cute story. But think about what it must have felt like for these men, these men who are in their profession, in their expertise, and they are doing like what any dummy sailor would know to do. They are making the right choice. And Paul says, nope, not this time. I know it seems right to you, but you have to trust me. You want to live? Do what I'm telling you God said to do. So they stay. Now, Luke doesn't give us a lot of description, but I bet that it was probably a little more complicated than just we cut the ropes and let it drift away. I'm expecting that there were probably some words said during this part of the story that we can't read in church. But that, I mean, that's just my guess, because I don't think that the sailors were all sold out on this yet, okay? 33. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast, while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Okay, so they're almost to land. And just to remind you, Paul is one of the prisoners... And now these, these men whose lives have been saved because of Paul's advice from the Lord are saying like, we should just kill that guy because, you know, he could get away. That would be really bad for us. 44, 43, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he did not let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held onto planks or debris from the broken ship, so everyone escaped safely to shore. Now, again, this, I know, we're tempted to go like, well, yeah, but that's just like one of those Bible stories, right? Like Jonah got swallowed by a whale, like stuff like that doesn't happen anymore. God split open a sea. God made a wall fall down because people just walked around it. Like that was then, this is now. God doesn't operate that way anymore. And I would have to say, I disagree with you. One of the things that I have come to learn about the book of Acts in particular is that as Luke is writing the book of Acts, he makes it pretty clear who the main characters in that story are. 
The main characters in the book of Acts are not the people that if you've been around church for a while might pop into your mind first. The main characters of the book of Acts are not Peter or Paul or John. They're not these men that we have begun to associate with the early church. The three characters that we see traced all throughout the book of Acts without fail in every story are the Holy Spirit and the church and the gospel. Here's what I love about the fact that those are the characters that Luke chooses to focus on. Those three characters still exist today in 2016. The Holy Spirit, the church, and the gospel. And so if it is through those three things, the Holy Spirit, the church, and the gospel, that we see God do such powerful things in the book of Acts, I am forced to believe that God could do the same things now that he did then because the Holy Spirit, the church, and the gospel are living and active today. The reason that we want to, or the reason that I want to say, well, no, you know, that was then and this is now, is because it's scary to listen to the voice of the Spirit. Like, imagine what it was like to be on that boat. And everything in you is saying, like, we should get out of here. And the Spirit is saying, no, just wait. It'll be okay, just wait. That's terrifying. And so the reason that many of us want to trust our senses and trust our emotions is because they're ours. And because they give us this sense of control, because then I can believe that I have some sort of say over what's coming, over what's happening next. And the the crazy thing about that is that for any of us who have been alive for any amount of time, you know you're not actually really in control of very much. We like to think that we are, we like to tell ourselves that we are, and yet the reality is that there are days when people that you love die unexpectedly. People who are young and who are healthy because we're not in control. There are days when you have been doing your job as hard and as well as you possibly could and you show up one Monday and you've been laid off because we're not in control. And so we want to hold on to this 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 illusion of control. I make my decisions based on my senses and based on my emotions. And yet throughout scripture, we see that God is saying to us, won't you trust me? So the big idea this morning we've pulled from this story is that we need to steer by the spirit and not by our senses. And the real guts of the issue has to do with our relationship with our God. Will you trust him? Will you trust the voice of the one who gave everything to save you? Because when I think about it that way, it is very challenging to me. Why do I ever, ever doubt that God is going to lead me correctly? He gave up his child for me. When I put it into that context, yeah, why would I trust myself? I know that I think that I'm awesome, but I don't know that much. And at the end of the day, I'm not in control of very much at all. The God who created us, 
who has been in control for all of time and who gave his son to save us, he wants to lead us. Why would we not listen to him? Now, maybe you're saying, like, I want to listen, but I don't really know how. Like, like how, is he going to, like, in a voice, you know, like, in my dreams? Is he going to, I was talking to a friend the other day who said, like, I had a dream, and I think maybe God was speaking to me through it. And I said, oh, my gosh, how do we know that? You know, like, how can you decide, is this God speaking to me, or is it just, like, I'm really tired, and I thought I heard something, but maybe it was, you know, just in my head. I think we have some clues in scripture. So we're going to look at a couple of other passages. You can turn here if you want, or I can just read them to you. We're going to go first to Galatians chapter 5. It's page 893. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit... Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Um, Another translation, the English Standard Translation in verse 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I like that image a lot. The idea of keeping in step with the Spirit is that following the Spirit is this moment-by-moment interaction. It's not this like, Okay, here's your list of rules and things that you should do today. Now read it over and check back with me at the end of the day when you do your nightly prayers because I know you don't really think about me throughout the course of the day because you're busy. You just make the rest of the decisions on your own. You've got a brain so you could probably figure it out. No, the idea, the image here is that if I have a relationship with the Spirit, then I walk with Him. And so... As I'm going throughout my day, the Spirit and I should be in constant conversation. When I teach high school students, and it's summer now, praise God, um, but sometimes I have these students that walk into my room and I think like, oh yeah, I know what I want to say to this kid, because some of them are so annoying, okay? And so they walk in and I think like I have something like really witty and funny to say. Do I ever consult the Holy Spirit? Do I ever say to the Holy Spirit, hey, Spirit, you know this kid way better than I'm ever going to. You know what's going on in his heart, in his life, in his mind, in his world. Do you have something that you want me to say to him today instead of this snarky remark that I have prepared? And the reality is that in those few moments when I am mindful enough to actually stop and say that to the Spirit, oftentimes he reminds me, these kids are going through really hard things. Uh, one of our boys 
was 30 minutes late to my final, which is like, you're supposed to get a zero if that happens, right? And um, usually kids aren't late to their finals because they're afraid. I teach sophomores, so they're still afraid about their grades. By the time they're seniors, they don't care at all, but sophomores are still scared. And so he shows up 30 minutes late, and I was really like short with him. Like, what is your problem? You know, the exam started at 10. You couldn't get here by 10. Um, And he was like, yeah, there was just, I was staying at my grandparents' house and there was a lot of traffic and I'm, you know, I'm just really sorry. And so I gave him the exam and afterwards his soccer coach had come into the room, into my classroom. And so he started talking to him. He knows him a little bit better than I do. And as they're talking, I'm kind of sitting there like not listening, but I'm totally listening. Um, I, I learned that there's some really bad things happening between his parents. And so... For the last few weeks, he's been living with his grandparents. His mom wanted him to stay there so that he could actually focus and finish out his school year well. But his grandparents live kind of far from our school, so it takes him longer to get to school every day. And there was an accident, and that's what caused him to be delayed on his way. And when he walked out of my room, I thought, like, oh, my gosh, I'm the worst. You know, I just think, like, this lazy kid can't get his butt out of bed. And the reality is this boy probably feels like his world is falling apart. Do I keep in step with the Spirit of God? Do I let the Spirit steer me instead of my senses and my emotions? Because my senses say, let that kid have it. You know, he's 16 years old. Figure it out, buddy. And the Spirit says, he's a boy going through some really difficult things. Will we keep in step with God's Spirit? The next passage that I want us to look at is in John 16. I think part of what could help us, that's page um, 825, 824, sorry. I think part of what we need to understand and remember is what is the Spirit here for? So like you know what Jesus did for you, and we have this kind of image of who God the Father is, but the Spirit is the one that we're like, I don't know, he like lives in me, I guess. He looked like a dove at Jesus's... um, baptism, maybe he's always a dove, I don't know, right? Like, we just don't, we don't have like a good grasp on who he is and what he does. Before, right before Jesus died, he spent some time talking to his disciples, his closest friends, about who the Spirit was and what he was going to do. Look at verse 12. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. What Jesus is telling his guys is that the Spirit's job is to remind them of the truth of Jesus. In other words, the spirit is not some like rogue, you know, animal down here on his own, doing his own thing, making up his own rules, coming up with his own guidelines to give you. No, the spirit simply follows the pattern and the truth that the father and the son have already laid out for us. This is very important for us to remember. The spirit will never lead you to do something that is in opposition to what we have already learned about God and his character and his commands. He will not. He can't. 
His job, Jesus tells us, is to tell us what he has heard, what the Spirit has heard. His job is to repeat the message of Jesus to us. And so sometimes we can be tempted to think or to feel or to say things like, you know, I just think that God really wants me to be happy. And what it means for me to be happy is for me to leave this situation and go over here and start a new situation. Is for me to leave my family and find a new family. Is for me to, you know, like what it means for me to be happy or for me to be comfortable, I got to get ahead a little bit in work and things have started to fall apart. So I'm just going to cut corners here and there. And you know, like I know technically it's not okay, but what God wants is for my family to be provided for, right? And so this is an okay way to do that. Listen, the spirit of God does not lead you to do things that are in opposition to the word of God. He can't and he won't. And so if you are tempted to think this is the spirit leading me, I would encourage you to check yourself and say, is that the spirit or is that my own gut and emotion? Am I really listening to the spirit of God? Is this really the spirit's voice or am I just trying to find a way to justify the stuff that I want to do? Because if I can be real with you, that's what I did in ninth grade. I don't remember what all of those justifications were, but I know for sure that when I left Central, I wasn't saying like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just, I just really want to be like comfortable and happy again, so that's why I'm leaving. Like I know that I had some really like padded spiritual sounding answer. Look, I didn't ask God if he wanted me to leave. I was sad. That's why I left, because I was sad. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't care that I was sad. But, but God wasn't telling me to leave just because like, oh, Sarah, I want you to be happy again. Look, God's ultimate goal is not your happiness. Aren't you glad you came this weekend? God's ultimate goal is not your happiness. God wants you to become the man or woman that he has created you to be. A man or woman who understands that you have been forgiven and so you offer forgiveness. A man or woman who understands that the world is broken, but we have been called to push back against that brokenness. A man or woman who understands that you have received grace and now you get to be a grace giver. And that oftentimes the places that we are called to be are some of the darkest and dirtiest and most difficult places because that's where God's forgiveness and grace needs to go. And if all I care about is keeping myself happy and keeping myself comfortable, and I just say, to hell with the rest of the world, how am I doing what God has called me to do? I'm not. The Spirit of God is concerned about you becoming the person that God has created you to be. Now, sometimes that means that you experience seasons, and for some of us, they will be long seasons of happiness and of comfort and of wealth, and you should not feel guilty about that, but the question that you should always be asking yourself is, is that the measure that I use to make my decisions? Do I make my decisions based on maintaining all of these things that I have, or do I make my decisions based on what is the Spirit asking of me? What is the yardstick that we use to measure? So how do we get better at hearing the Spirit's voice? Let me give you three things and then I'll wrap up. First of all, 
I think that we need to get to know the Spirit better. How do we do that? Well, God reveals a lot about himself in Scripture. Read it. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have different jobs, but their character is exactly the same. It's one of the most confusing things about our beliefs is that we have a God who is three in one, and yet that's how he reveals himself to us. So read scripture and begin to understand who your God is. What sort of stuff does he say and how does he behave? Because he doesn't change. The same God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is our God today. Get to know him. Spend time in prayer. And not just talking, but listening. We're pretty bad at that as a people, I think. Like maybe it's just an American thing. We're very uncomfortable with silence or like what feels like being not productive. So if I'm going to pray, I've got a lot of things to say, and then maybe I can wait for like 15 seconds. But if the Holy Spirit's not going to hurry up and talk to me, like I got stuff to do. We have to be better at disciplining ourselves to just sit and listen. Uh, Someone said to me one time, uh, okay, so those of you who have always had a cell phone or caller ID, this is not going to make any sense to you at all. But it used to be that when the phone rang, you did not know who was on the other side, okay? And so you would pick it up, and someone would have to identify themselves because you didn't know that it was like your Aunt Sally and that you were really trying not to talk to her today, okay? So... What would happen, though, is that as you got to know people's voices and you talked to people a lot on the phone, you could answer the phone and they didn't have to say, hey, it's Sarah. They could just go like, hey, it's me, and then start talking. Because you knew their voice so well, they didn't have to identify themselves. When we begin to get to know the Spirit of God, that's the kind of relationship that we should have with him. You know the way that he behaves and you know the kind of things that he says and you know the kind of things that he would never say So that when you begin to feel a prompting or feel something in your gut, you're able to identify this is the Spirit's voice or it's not. I know him. Secondly, and this one ties into the first one, but we should spend time in Scripture and get to know what God has done historically. Learn what God's patterns are. How has he behaved in the past? God's ways can change sometimes. I mean, God doesn't do the exact same thing in all of our lives. And yet, he doesn't, his character does not change. So what sort of ways has he led people in the past? As you become more and more familiar with those things, it will become easier and easier for you to identify what is the Spirit's voice and what is he leading me to do. And lastly, I think it's very important that we spend time with each other as God's people. God speaks through his word But God also speaks through his church. If you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And you have probably all had the experience where you have walked away from someone, you've walked away from another believer, and you thought, I don't know how they knew to say that to me, but it's like they knew about something that was going on. Yeah, because the same Holy Spirit that lives in them lives in you. God did not call us to live our lives on our own. That's true for all people. It is especially true for followers of Christ. We need each other. So you feel like the Spirit is leading you to do something and it feels like, whoo, this might be a little bit crazy. Because look, sometimes what God calls us to do feels crazy. He told Paul to keep all those people on that ship that was falling apart. Crazy. 
Sometimes God calls us to do crazy things. Why don't you talk to the believers around you that you trust and say, does this sound like God to you or does this sound like maybe I'm just being in left field? Help me interpret what's going on here. You were not called to live this life on your own. The spirit of God lives in you and he lives in other believers. Invite his voice in in any way that you can. Ultimately, the question has to be, what is it that I use as my yardstick, as my measuring rod? What is my end goal? Paul says this really well in Philippians chapter three. We won't look there, but if you want to read it later, it's Philippians three, four to 11. He says, um, he's talking about kind of all the criteria that he has. He was awesome before he became a Christian, like the most well-educated, well-respected. He had like the best job around. And he said, I count all of that as trash compared to knowing Jesus. None of that matters. I I don't want to hold on to any of those things if it keeps me from knowing Jesus. My ultimate goal is to know him, to know him as well as I can. That must be the thing that we use to drive our decisions. Let the spirit leading you to know Jesus, let that be the thing that drives our decisions. Not our comfort, not our fear, not our happiness, not our wealth, None of those things can be the things that drive our decisions, not as a Christ follower. I want to know him. All the rest of it is trash. I want to know him. We steer by the spirit and not by our senses. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the fact that you never change I mean, I think I take that for granted a lot, the fact that you're, you're never any different. You're always the same. And yet, God, this makes knowing you in some ways so much easier because the God that you were in Scripture is the God that you remain today. God, thanks that you don't change and thanks that you want to know us. Thank you that after Jesus left, you sent to the spirit because you knew that we couldn't do this on our own. You knew that we needed help. You knew that we needed someone to walk with us in this. God, I pray that you would help us to become men and women who listen to the voice of the spirit. I pray that you would give us an ability, even today, this week, to discern the voice of the Spirit, to not be confused between the Spirit's voice and our own desires, but that we would become better and better and more disciplined in attempting to listen to his voice so that we could become the men and women that God has called us to be. Thanks that you are patient with us. Thanks that you don't give up on us. Thanks that you are willing to walk with us in this process as long as it takes. God, thanks that you love us so desperately in Jesus' name. Amen.